Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Renny McGee, and I'm your host. So, uh, today, I have a very good friend of mine that, he's my oldest friend, let's be honest. Uh, I've known him since preschool, and uh, we've been talking about this for quite a long time. Uh, who are you, my friend? Thanks for having me. I'm Kai. I'm excited that we finally get to do this. We have been talking about it for a long time, so. You came at me, like, a year and a half ago, and I had asked what film you wanted to talk about, and I think it's stuck to Apocalypse Now for that year and a half, so. It did. If, if there was a gun to my head and I had to choose one movie, you know, I think it would be Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it's a it's a movie. <laughs> we watched uh Well, I watched the documentary, too, because you had told me, hey, there's a documentary. You should watch it. So today I think I spent like, gosh, I think I spent almost five hours just watching films, which is like which is like fine. <laughs> but it was like I had not I couldn't do anything else today other than watch a movie. And now it's like. I mean, it's 9.30, 9.45 your time in the morning, and it's like almost 6 o'clock my time. Yeah. <laughs> 6 p.m. my time. So I've, I've literally got up this morning, my fiancé made me breakfast, and then, and then I had to sit in front of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, I, I don't know why I'm complaining. I love watching movies, but it's, you know, it's a lot. So Yeah. But uh, you, you watched it, like, last night. You said you were up pretty late. I was, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I feel where you're coming from there, you know? It's something about when you're forced to watch the movie for the sake of the podcast, there's something about it where it feels like work a little bit. You know, it's not completely at my leisure. Have you ever felt that before? Or you just, is this kind of like, I mean, have you ever felt like you've had to watch a film kind of for work, I guess, in a sense? To be honest, no. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I think you you've had like sometimes you'll have a friend or a family member tell you to watch something and then you know that like when you see them the next week they're going to be like hey did you watch it i feel like that sometimes you have that kind of pressure but this was a whole nother level of pressure for sure i have that i have that too like i have that pressure where it's like you're kind of like okay i'd mention a movie that's on like my netflix playlist or something like that um to other film friends and uh they're like, oh, that's a really good movie. You should watch it. Like, for instance, I've been trying to watch Easy Rider for the last, like, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I've gotten – I've done, like, 15-minute increments. And it's just, like, people love this movie, but I am struggling to understand why. But I don't know. It is what it is. I'll figure it out at some point. But uh, speaking of Dennis Hopper, the film today is Apocalypse Now, as I would mentioned. And if you haven't already read it in the uh, podcast title of the week, yeah, it's a great film. And – uh Let's get into it. During the height of the Vietnam War, Captain Willard is assigned a special mission, a mission which officially doesn't exist. He must find and assassinate a Colonel Kurtz, who the American army believes to have gone insane. Alongside a skeleton crew and with the odds stacked against him, Captain Willard will have to dig deep in order to pull off a successful mission in the heart of the jungle. 
This is Apocalypse Now. All right, man. Well, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> it's a movie. You said it was your favorite. Is that correct? It's in the top three for sure. I think the top three can be rotated depending on time periods and how you're feeling. But yeah, it's it's top three. We've been watching films together since, like I said, like since we were kids. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of my interests in film have kind of sprung out of your interest for films because you kind of like I, I get the feeling you kind of like a a journey film. You're totally right. And that's just from recommendations that you've given me in the past. Like I remember one time you told me about traffic. You loved that movie and you told uh, me to watch it. Yeah. Good memory. I mean, you could say starship troopers, but that one doesn't count. That was just cause you told me there was <laughs> boobs in it and we were kids. And tons of gore. <laughs> yeah. And tons of gore. And you love that shit. So that was what we had in common. We had like the gory, like action movies, or we had like these journey films that I felt like were a little bit, because you were allowed to watch whatever the hell you wanted when you were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I definitely, I felt like, uh, I don't know, I felt like you had something that I didn't have at the age, not in relation to not being able to watch that stuff, but uh, like a, an essence of being able to maybe understand certain concepts that, say, I couldn't understand at a younger age. And that's why I think you appreciate films such as Apocalypse Now. Mm. Um maybe i i don't know that's just a hypothesis i don't know i think you're you i think you're your pretty good that. i think you're pretty accurate with everything i think i definitely my dad was definitely he's definitely a film lover and i think that he was so excited to show me good films and not just watch children's disney movies um so i guess he just kind of yeah as soon as i showed cognitive uh understanding of film he was like okay let's just let's just let you watch whatever you want and i can't help but feel too that a lot of it a lot of your dad's love because i know your dad and i can't help but feel that a lot of the reasons why your dad probably likes this movie and then in turn you like this movie has a lot to do with the soundtrack um Mm -hmm. because it is a prolific soundtrack you know yeah um so i don't know did you want to speak to that a little bit at all because I, that's an element. There. I think. I think. Speaking of him, I think that's a good place to go from because I do remember being really young, and my dad had Apocalypse Now on Laserdisc, mm-hmm. and I don't even remember the whole Laserdisc <laughs> thing very much. But my dad yeah. had a Laserdisc player for whatever short period of time Laserdisc was a thing. And this was one of the films that he had. And I think what intrigued me most about the film was the cover art of it. And being a kid, I just saw that. And maybe I saw him watching it one time or something, but I was always curious. And he said, you know, this is, this is a film I'll show to you when you're ready, but you're not ready yet. So like I had this like epic kind of build up to the day that I would watch this film and eventually him and i sat down and i was probably like 12 or something when i first watched it but that's uh, pretty reasonable i think i watched it i think i watched it when i was about 13 or 14 yeah um so probably shortly after you yeah um did you understand it 
I think I understood part of it, but I think more so the journey of it. And I think this film does a really good job at creating a bit of a journey. And it is like, in a sense, it, the 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 storyline is a complete journey because they're on a boat going up a river the whole time. So it, it truly is a journey. Um, but, you know, and then they, they the stops that they do on along the way are all kind of different from one another. And it, it helps separate all the all the scenes and all the different um, chapters of the movie really well. I mean, we have to mention it, I guess, because the, the film is people oh, said it was inspired or loosely based off of the novella by Joseph Conrad and uh, Heart of Darkness. And uh, I've read that book and I can tell you right now, it's not based off of it. <laughs> it's pretty much the same fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. like it is uh, maybe not in relation to the characters and things like that, but it is pretty much point for point in relation to what the character has to go do at the end of the movie or, or the end of the novella is pretty much the same yeah. thing. I mean, I guess, I guess that's a pretty simplistic story that you could tell, but um, I can't remember the name of the writer, but I did read that the, the, the person who wrote the screenplay for apocalypse now wrote it specifically based on hearts of darkness and in, they wrote it in, dedication to their their english teacher of some sort his name was john milanus yes or, yeah uh Malais. so i I'll, I'll give my two cents i watched it around uh you know around the same time you did i guess i didn't realize that but um i don't know maybe you'd mentioned to it or something mentioned it to me or something and then maybe i'd watched it but uh i remember i i rented it and i was really excited uh to rent it because i was with somebody who couldn't say like hey, you can't watch this. He was just like, yeah, we'll rent whatever you want. We were being babysat at the time, and I remember I was like, I wasn't a baby, but still, they were looking after me or whatever. It was like me and a bunch of other kids, and I could, I rented this movie, and he was like, well, that's kind of an interesting pick, and I was like, I don't know. Somebody told me it was good, <laughs> so we we spent like the afternoon watching it, and I was like, I remember being like, what in the fuck is this movie? <laughs> and, and I remember not liking it, and, uh, and I think it just was like, oh, maybe this is kind of, I mean, not at the time, but I remember, I remember being like, oh, maybe as I got older, I was like, oh, maybe I'll save it. Cause I was going to watch it again, probably a couple years later. And then I was like, oh, I'll save it for some rainy day or something like that. Cause I feel like it had something to do with like being able to understand it. Kind of like what we were talking about. And, um, and then, <laughs> and then we watched it. I watched it again for this discussion and I can tell you right now, um, the first 45 minutes of this movie is great. The last half, I do not like. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and I feel like it's for the same reasons, because I said that... Uh, so uh, I watched Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about the making of this film. Uh, who was It was made by um, Francis Ford Coppola's wife. I think her name is Fiona Coppola. Eleanor, I think. Eleanor, yeah. gosh, Eleanor Coppola, and um, I watched that film. I watched that film before I watched the three-hour version of this one because there's like a final cut, and it was like I think I don't know if you had the version with the French, yeah, people in it, yeah. The that's not in the if that's not in the theatrical, yeah. Cut. So last night I watched the original, um, because for the past I probably watched this film once a year, like okay, kind of religiously, but. For the past 
probably five years, I've only watched the Redux version. And I decided not to watch that version last night, partly because I had a feeling that maybe you would have only watched that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I I could only get my hands on uh, the really long ones, which in the end was better because in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, they talk about scenes that they cut mm -hmm. from the final version yeah. of the theatrical cut. And so it helped me understand those scenes more. However, I do understand why they cut them. <laughs> that's that's what I was going to just say, too, because it was actually quite nice to see the film without those scenes because mm -hmm. it has it has a better pace to it without. Yeah, them. The, the, especially the, the French scene. Um, the French colonists. Where they go the over, yeah, and they have dinner with the French colonists, and and Martin Sheen smokes opium, and and gets with the gets with the late the French lady. Um, it just felt weird. Yeah, it was. They, they were trying to make a. I think Francis was trying to make a statement about about the war and and about kind of a little bit of the history of of Vietnam, but it it definitely t it takes away to the the flow. There, there is another pivotal scene that's that I didn't realize was part of the Redux version, but that's the scene when they steal the surfboard from Robert Duvall. That's not in the original. That's not in the original. No. Yeah, I didn't realize that because I don't remember. I thought I had just lost that memory to time in relation to the last time I watched it, but... No, I I don't know why they got rid of that. That, I that was a was pretty great. good scene, wasn't it? <laughs> that's a, that's a dope scene. Yeah, yeah I really like that scene because it it goes to so okay. I should go back. Um, the the book in itself is kind of uh by Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness. Um, so the documentary is called Hearts of Darkness. The book is called Heart of Darkness. The movie is called Apocalypse Now. So in the book, the character Marlowe has to go and. Um, find this uh, colonist or this like guy, you know, and I don't know if it was meant, I can't remember. It was so long ago when I read it, he had to go and like find this guy and like kill him or something. It talks about um, like the civilized man versus the savage. Um, and I'm sat, I'm saying savage in quotations because, you know, it's super racist what they were talking about in the book, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and French colonists are were terrible human beings, along with most colonizers. But uh, in the book, they're kind of like discussing if you remove a man from civilized society and put him in the jungle, he'll basically go, quote unquote, savage. Um, and it explores that sort of psyche of a man uh, doing that. And in the in the movie, it does the same thing. And uh, I. I really like that the film was able to document certain levels of that that stretch to insanity in relation to the war or relation to having uh, the Vietnam War be the backdrop. And um, Kilgore is uh, the character played by Robert Duvall is the perfect example of that almost like mid-step between Kurtz, uh, who is the who is played by Marlon Brando and the character they have to go and kill, um, who Martin Sheen's character has to go and kill. Um, and and I, I felt like that that part where they stole the surfboard and then he comes on a helicopter and has to go and he tries to go and find him to go get the surfboard back. It's almost like it's this obsession um, that drives people kind of crazy. And I think that's what Francis was trying to say in that. I know that was a long tangent, but 
that that's kind of where I wanted to go with that. I think does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, it, it's I feel bad, but it, it tr- his character truly gives me joy every time I watch this film. Like bombs are going off around him, and all he cares to talk about is surfing. The best part was is the night before Martin Sheen puts a map in front of him and says, you know, hey, I need to go here. And he wasn't really paying attention much. And then he asks his uh, one of his one of the other surfer guys. Yeah, he was all because uh, because Sam Buttons is the name of the actor who was like this California surfer Lance, dude yeah. who was on. Yeah, he was on the crew to go up river with uh, Sheen. Yeah. And yeah, he caught wind that Lance was a some sort of pro surfer. And yeah, so he, he asked one of his men and, and he says, well, it, yeah, it's pretty hairy up, up there though, sir. And he says, yeah, but there's good swell or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And as yeah, soon yeah. as he tells him it's that like six foot swell or something swell, like that, and he yeah. goes all of a sudden his, his, he just lights up and then. <laughs> yeah. That like, that's the kind of character this, this Kilgore is. He's this sort of, I mean, they talk about it in the documentary and I, you know, <laughs> I was privileged to have been able to catch uh, the Viet- ten-part Vietnam documentary uh, by Ken Burns on Netflix when it was st- when it was there. Um, but uh, Francis talks about this, and in that documentary, they also talk about this essence of boredom that these men kind of went through, and through that boredom, I guess you could say that came. Well, it wasn't boredom. I wouldn't say I wouldn't use the term boredom. It's more uh the useless nature of the act of going to Vietnam in the first place added to the level of the men's taking the whole thing completely, you know, ridiculousness to the whole situation. So they they kind of see the situation as ridiculous. Therefore, they start to kind of morph into these individuals who kind of take the situation as a whole this war and all this shit that they're going through as ridiculous and Kilgore is the epitome of that before he goes quote-unquote savage I would argue and therefore he's like ignoring sort of this um what is it uh he's ignoring the danger of the whole the whole thing totally so and martin sheen's character says it best too and he's describing him on, on the narration part he says he, he's one of these guys that's not going to get so much of, as a scratch on him in vietnam yeah he's just one yeah. of those guys yeah. that was just kind of kind of made for it you know like he just for whatever reason he's just nothing phases the guy yeah i i think um i think he's my favorite character because um after watching uh the documentary and having Francis talk about Vietnam and then watching, uh, watching that 10 part, you know, Ken Burns Vietnam documentary about it. You really kind of understand that the whole thing was a joke. Yeah, it really was like the war in itself was completely useless. And we get that in that redux scene of the French colonists too, where, you know, they, they don't want to be there. Those people, they're stuck in the forest with like, no actual resources the place is dilapidated that they're living in but they're saying oh well we lost world war Two. you know we lost the this the war and that war and they were like we didn't lose this and it's like well no you actually did you're just in denial and that's kind of yeah between the the mirroring of the colonialists talking about the this sort of like oh we won it, it's just like people were brainwashed 
it's a very similar to today where people are being brainwashed into thinking um certain things are the way they are mm-hmm. in relation to like violence or whatever or the way we see things in general. I don't know. It was just very interesting, and I felt Kilgore was a very important piece of the film, and I think that's why I liked the first half of the film, and I didn't like the second, but we can get into that. So let's just let's just skip over to this here. So you said <laughs> that... This is hilarious. So you said that to me before we started this podcast, yeah, you yeah. said that you liked the documentary more than the movie. Yeah. And just tell me, this is... <laughs> this is what I care to hear because this it's funny for me because I love this movie, but it, it's funny to watch you have to do your podcasts when it's maybe for one, it's not the movie that you chose. And then two, it's, it, it's not your, one of your favorite movies. No, no. So for not. starters, just tell me why this, what you don't like about this movie. Okay. Because I, this is, I want to get into it. This is interesting. <laughs> okay. you know, we can go okay. over the storyline. Everybody knows the storyline. Like, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I I think I was trying to get there. I think uh, I think I don't like it for the same reason Francis Ford Coppola doesn't like it, but won't talk about. Um, <clears throat> Just and the it, disorganization it, or something. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and I I, I think uh, I appreciate the film more because I watched the documentary because all of my all of the film studies work and all the shit that I go I went through in school was all kind of proven right when I watched that documentary. Um, Mm. And it brings me back to a conversation that I had with another filmmaker recently where it's like a lot of times you go into a film and you have this budget and you have all the shit that you want to do and then you run out of money or you something goes wrong with the actor or you have to stop filming for whatever reason and uh, and then you have to like reevaluate how to do everything. You got to move everything around. And um, that was like this movie times like 50. And... It does not surprise me that Francis uh, went fucking crazy and making this movie, but also why he kept trying to make it. Because there were so many times, because it was his money um, that he made this movie with. He it was funded his it. And, yeah, and a lot of borrowed money as well that he yeah, yeah, through. It, exactly. And I don't think, um, and even his wife talks about it too in the documentary. She says like, you know, if you know, we lost it all. She she was talking about this event that they had gone home because they had to rebuild a set, this whole set for the next two months because just the whole set had fallen apart during a massive, <clears throat> yeah, massive typhoon or something like that. And, um, and so they go back home and she's talking to the documentary saying like, you know, I'm surrounded by, we had this big banquet and we're surrounded by all these celebrities. And she just says like, at some point in the documentary, like, look, if I lost this all because this movie just flopped or she's like, I can imagine myself being okay with going back to a simpler point in our lives where we didn't have to experience all this madness. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that again, like this is another reason why I appreciate this movie is because you see Coppola, determined to finish this movie but understanding that he's going mad doing it <laughs> kind of like the essence like that was kind of the 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 reason why i like this movie apocalypse now a little bit more is because the documentary supplements the fact that the reality of making the film mirrored the story and the narrative within apocalypse now itself exactly which is absolute gold i mean to me that just when i saw the documentary it was just like and and i i mean i loved the movie in the first place and then seeing the documentary the whole time 
I'm I'm watching that documentary. I'm just rooting for Francis. I'm like, please, God, you know, like, let this guy's movie turn into a masterpiece. And I had to remind myself and I'm like, to me, the movie, it he did accomplish his goal. Like, I, I oh, he accomplished his goal of finishing the film. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I, I, it, but that's <laughs> not, that's arguable because yeah. a lot of people think it's a masterpiece. Do you, do you want me to tell you why I think people think it's a masterpiece? Because of the story, <laughs> because yeah. of the narrative behind it, because of how much work it took him to make that movie. Um, and I think we have – that goes with anything, like any sort of marvel that uh, – like uh, like he had just come off of making two of the best films ever made. Godfather 1, Godfather Part 2 are some of are, – are, are literally probably the best films in my opinion, ever made. Like they are fantastic films. Um, yeah. And I and they're on my top, you know, favorite movie lists of all time. And they are amazing. And when you and he was on top of the world. So you go on top of the world to making this film. It's like, how can he make another film that isn't genius? You know what I mean? And so I, I feel like it's this sort of I'm not saying it's Star Wars episode one Phantom Menace, but I am saying that I think people are uh, forget the fact they they put so much uh like necessity behind um what is it the the act of the artist the artistry behind the piece that they forget that like you know you have to look at the bare bones of what you know the actual final product is cuz anybody can paint <laughs> And yeah. especially now, you know what I mean? But it is the mind that kind of defines the piece itself. But then when you come to understand that, like, the the mind isn't always genius and is kind of just working sporadically to finish something that he has to finish. I'm speaking in Francis right now. And I think that's why I like the movie more now. It's because of this sort of acceptance with the fact that there are a lot of things that didn't pan out the way he wanted to. And I am happy to recognize that as mm -hmm. a filmmaker to go, Hey, Francis is like any other normal human being. When they get themselves involved with a project, there comes a point where things become so frustrating that like regard and you're, you, but you're so far in that you just have to finish it. And I think what we got is not what he wanted but it is something that you could revel in and call a masterpiece because it is a masterpiece to put that much work and that much effort into something. You can yeah. quantify it as a masterpiece, yeah. but absence of, but being absent of all the struggles that he had gone through. Yeah. If you take all that out, I don't think this film is a I think, masterpiece. I think you're accurate with the fact that like his, what he set out to do was not exactly what he did, but yeah. with when you're making art, that's often the case. You yeah. Know, yeah. There'll be things that though there's probably lots of films out there that we're not privileged to have a documentary made about them, but I'm sure if you were to speak to um the the creators, I'm sure many times they'll tell you that, you know, it didn't it didn't go as planned and it didn't yeah. uh, it didn't it didn't come out to be the image in their head, but it came out to be something. And Apocalypse Now is a perfect example of that. It it is it is a life of its own. And yeah, he pieced together that film for sure. But I definitely think here, here's what I think. And this is, again, boating to the fact the reason why I think that the first half of the film is better than the second half. 
Um, it has everything to do with Marlon Brando being a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, and but we'll get into that in a sec. Yeah. But I think I think that the first half of the film was went. I think in their eyes, every way they wanted it to. The second half didn't because, and I, I guess I could quantify the second half as being like baby, maybe the the last third of the film, which is the parts with Marlon Brando in it. Um, and uh, maybe that French scene, I felt like that was kind of dumb. <laughs> Sorry, we, we need to talk about that scene for a sec. Um, that French scene, just quickly, I think that scene was a bit too on the nose. And I think that's why it eventually got cut. I think it was a bit too much of a telly, not showy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, this is why we're here. War is bad, but we're never giving up on it. And you Americans, blah, 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 and all this other shit. And you're just kind of like, yeah, we get that. That's that's the mood of the film. That's the tone of the film. We already know these things. So I understand why they cut it. Now, going back to the last third of the film. Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, he talks about it in the documentary. Marlon is a Marlon Brando. Okay. Uh, very kind man in certain specific areas, but my God, that man is so full of shit. <laughs> like he was one of the most prolific actors of our time, but man, did it go to his head. He went from being like this amazing actor to like, he reminds me so much of like modern day, like Bruce Willis, <laughs> Where he's kind of like larger than life and he knows it and therefore he's only going to do what he wants to do and people are just going to have to deal with it. Because there's a scene in the documentary where – and I think this would have been better. I honestly think Francis Ford Coppola should have gone with all these other people because I think they were – are so much better actors. I think Marlon is way too hyped uh, in his later career. Like after Godfather, I felt like, okay, this guy's – Were you not not blown away or were you not a huge fan of his performance? Uh no, I think he's full of shit, dude. Yeah. I you know, and because when you watch the documentary, you know he's full of shit because um Francis keeps talking about how he's like, I don't know what to do. I give this guy I told him, Hey, it'd be really awesome if you could lose some weight for the filming. He shows up, he's <laughs> almost three hundred pounds. Yeah. He says, Hey man, I need you to read Heart of Darkness because it gives you an understanding of what I'm trying to tell with this story and gives you a tone of how it feels. Yeah. He rocks up and and basically what happens is cuz I've dealt with this shit before when I'm when I'm talking to actors I'm like hey can you read this and I this is what I this is what I envision you help me create it um and they just go well I don't like this or oh, I don't like that or oh, I don't like this and it's like well that's not we're not collaborating here you're just telling me what you want to do and I think right. that's what Brando did I think he he came onto the set he hadn't read the book and Francis found out that he hadn't read the book and he's just like, dude, come on. Like, I asked you to do a couple simple things. And then, and then, <laughs> this is why I hate him even more. This is why I'm sorry. I'm going on a rant. This is what the yeah. show is. But holy fuck, dude. There's another part where he just goes, Francis goes, yeah. So then I was just like trying to figure out, you know, you know, I only had him for, uh, he needed to push the point of when they were going to start filming because of the typhoon. But Brando was like, I don't want to do that because they gave him a million dollar retainer yep. to basically shoot the money film. Back then. Yeah. <laughs> and and he was gonna get three million for three weeks and then he got a million up front. And basically Brando was like not willing to like cooperate with Francis. And 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 then he finally shows up on set because they worked around it. 
and he hadn't lost the weight. He didn't know the script. And they're going over these motivations, and apparently everybody on set's like, when are we going to film his scenes? Like, a week has gone by. What's going on? And uh, Francis just got to the point where he's just like, he's talking to his wife because they talk about it in the documentary. And he said, like, he was like, I feel like I'm just going to have to shoot this this movie uh, with a camera and just see what happens. <laughs> like, yeah. he was just like, let's go into this room. Yeah. And see what comes out. And that's and that's what we got because it's just Brando basically being Marlon Brando. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, He's just he, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Why don't you chop in here cuz like I feel like I'm talking way well, too much. It I just... mean <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny because I feel like I feel like at this point you're we're probably both on the same page that if you are going to watch <laughs> Apocalypse Now, you need to watch a documentary after. Yeah, like yeah. they they just complement each other so 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 well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, all the shit that Francis is going through. I mean, in the documentary, you, you do get the feeling you're like, "Hey, Francis Ford Coppola's gonna die in the Philippines. <laughs> he's, he's not gonna come home." Okay, he's not coming home. And then fucking yeah. Marlon Brando. It's like, okay, he's like, "Dude, what else do I gotta do here?" He's like, "Here's a million bucks." come here you don't have a big a huge role but it's important yeah. role okay yeah it's the last goddamn thing i need to do in order to fucking finish this film so i can get the hell out of the jungle and come back <laughs> home and and get back to civilization but for the weight his weight thing didn't bother me no no the weight thing didn't bother me either because yeah because francis said all right well i noticed that you didn't lose the weight and i'm sorry like that kind of sucks but hey i have this idea that we could kind of like I could kind of shoot you and show that you've kind of become grotesque and disgusting and but you've also lived this sort of like fantasy life where you're, you know, fed grapes and you're overfed, you know, and it kind of fits in with the mood of the character where he's kind of lost his mind and he's this grandiose ideology. Yep. And that's what Francis was like. He's like, I want to do this. And then Marlin goes and says, Yeah, I don't want you to shoot my stomach because I'm super embarrassed by it. Yeah. And you're like and that's why he's in the darkness the whole fucking movie. Yeah. That's why you never see a full profile more than like five seconds in the film. Yeah, yeah. It he definitely <laughs> was an issue in that movie. Like I think he did a good job, but I think for sure, like it, you, it's hard to know. But I'm sure Kurtz could have you could have seen more from Kurtz. Um, yeah. If it was a different actor or Marlon wasn't so self conscious, but um, the best part for me, the part that convinces me the most is the scene where Willard's locked up in in the in the darkness and Dennis Hopper's sitting there just ranting a bunch of shit about landing on the moon and, and physics and uh Marlon Brando throws something at Dennis Hopper <laughs> he calls him a mutt or something but do you know why he did that 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 whole thing was because Francis could not just have that scene be Marlon just talking nonsense the whole scene. Exactly. And so he, so Francis was like, "Well, I need to put Dennis Hopper in here to add to the scene. <laughs> we need, but we need then an Marlon actor to come in here and act." <laughs> yeah, and then and then Marlon's like, and then Marlon's like, "Fuck you, get out of here, you mutt!" And so you're just kind of like, "What is going on with this movie?" And that's when I felt like, okay, like, and that is another recognition of how the sort of filmmaking of this film mirrors the insanity of the story that it's trying to tell. Like there is yeah. insanity going both ways. Totally. You this, get the idea. This, yeah. <laughs> you get the idea this, that like he could just kill Dennis Hopper at any point, you know, like <laughs> yeah, nobody's yeah. safe around this guy. Like let's, <laughs> we got to keep in mind, this guy is gone rogue here and he, yeah. 
he could kill anybody at any point. And that kind of gave you the idea that you're not quite safe. Oh, I felt that, uh, I felt that, I felt that, um, uh, Coppola could have killed anybody at any point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cause like, cause he's like, I mean, that's what I was, I guess, trying to say is this like, sort of like Coppola was Kurtz. <laughs> yeah. Francis was just trying to like figure out how to get this movie film. Like you had said, like figure out how to get this movie made. And he just wanted to try and get, because it, I have to mention this, but, and I want to ask too, he mentions, he was like, well, if I can't get, if I can't get Brando the way I want him, I'll get Nicholson. And if I can't get Nicholson, I'll get Pacino. And you're just like, do that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, do that, dude. This movie would have been so much better if it was Pacino or Nicholson. Like, I, I, I understand. Uh, I think Nicholson would have been I, amazing. I, oh, Nicholson would have been amazing. I think, though, I think Brando fits the character of Kurtz because it lends to the, the, the mysteriousness of Kurtz and how much he actually doesn't matter in this film. He is exactly. more of a symbol of insanity and what can happen to somebody if they have too much power as opposed to like, we don't even need him in the film, but the fact that he's in the film, it's very similar to silence of the lambs, except I would argue that, you know, uh, Anthony Hopkins is a, is a far better actor than Marlon Brando, but um, silent in silence of the lambs, Anthony Hopkins mm -hmm. is barely in the movie. He's in it for like 20 minutes and sure. he wins an Oscar for it. But I would say that it's very similar where it's like, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the mysteriousness of the character that is yeah. the most important part. And the fact that we can lend a, we can, we can lend a recognition or a, a recognize the face on that mysteriousness and lend to what that means in regards to the cinema ethos in relation to who we see marlon brando to be the yeah. characters that he plays you know what i mean it's just it's more about the journey and and how yeah you lose your own mind on your way to him you know that's that's more so what's happening he's not even important yeah no. but i think it, it would have been really cool in another world i think because uh, <laughs> coppola apparently recently re-released a new edited version of godfather part three because everyone hated part three because it was just plagued with just so many problems. Um, but anyways, I think in another world it would have been amazing because for him to come back and basically uh, reshoot the ending <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like have like a different actor do it. Because, man, it would have been nice to have like Nicholson would have been frightening in this role. Like yeah. I, I would have been way more scared. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah. Because bald Brando reminds me way too much of my dad in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just looks like my dad. He does look like your dad a little bit. <laughs> nice and bald. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what um, – I don't know. Is there any – that that's my reason. I, it was long and grotesque like the character of Kurtz. But, like, that was my reason as to why I didn't like this movie is because of the the ending – the ending – lends too much to a film in chaos than it does to a masterpiece if that mm. makes any sense yeah we I, got there <laughs> i think i think the masterpiece is 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 uh up for is debate. in the technique is in the technique and it's and it's in the journey and the the what they had to do and where they went to film it and all that is like and i think you know when when comparing it with a film like the godfather for example i think the reason why I am so attracted to this film is, is its visual 
experience and and the epicness of it and it's it's more and the journey side of it and i think you were right with me and now i'm kind of i'm realizing something about myself now i'm like (laughs) damn i really do love journeys you know yeah and and it reminds me of like in a way one of one of my other probably top five favorite films of all time saving private ryan and now that i'm thinking about it i'm like i'm like fuck it is similar isn't it i didn't even think of it yeah, Saving Private Ryan is exactly the same movie as Apocalypse Now. They have to go and they have to find some dude. They've got a group of people. Everybody has defined characteristics. You know, on paper, this film is one that I would like as well. Like you and I, we we like a, a journey with, you know, char- like if you've seen the movie King Arthur, the new one that was no, made. I have not. With like, okay, uh, what's another one that's like this? Uh, th- okay, Rogue One, perfect example. Like, have you seen that? Yes, I have. It is. That's true. Perfect example of another story where they've got a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and, you know, and then they have to accomplish some sort of crazy goal or kind of stand by me as well. Yeah. Magnificent seven. No, I wouldn't say stand by me. I'd say these films where a bunch of guys or individuals get together and they have to accomplish. Well, I guess stand by me. Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) They have to basically accomplish this goal and get to this end point. Or whatever. Yeah. And um, I don't know, man. There's just it, – it's the ending for me. It's like – because you texted me last night. Well, this morning. Yeah. Last night for you. And uh, and you said, uh, oh, man, that ending. And I get to the ending and I'm like, fuck, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> no. Yeah, I said, I said I'm just at the ending. What a film. Yeah, but yeah. I, 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 yeah, it wasn't in context of the, the specific ending, but – no, but there's totally. a reason why I watched. There's a reason why I watched the documentary first, and it was just mainly because I was like, "God, I know this is going to be a long ride today, and I'm going to have a <laughs> lot of work ahead of me." Yeah. <laughs> and like, and I don't usually like. I mean, that's the thing about film, though. Like, I appreciate um, you taking the sacrifice. <laughs> I do. Hey, it's not a sacrifice, man. It's 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 a uh, like I was talking was talking to another uh, director recently, and and we were talking about how when you watch a film, you're you're not just getting a black or white feeling from it it is like in in the essence of the story itself it is the journey yeah um and you have to be patient and you have to enjoy the moment and be present and i think that's also why uh we could make an argument here that the reason why you like this film a lot more is because i would argue that you are more a present person than i tend to be (laughs) unless you're a more patient person than i tend to be um you know what I mean? It, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not the most patient person, but I guess maybe compared to you, you're, you're not so patient either. So, <laughs> Well, it's it's more I, – I would argue that – I mean, knowing you for as long as I've known you, the mm-hmm. people that you, you, you spend time with and the people that uh, you surround yourself with, they're all different types of characteristics of individuals. And mm-hmm. – and uh and that speaks to who you are as a human being and being able to like um appreciate the many interests of many in- different individuals and people yeah like yeah. appreciate the difference in people is what more is that exactly that, that way exactly for me uh i do too but i think i want to get my two cents in and i think i struggle with being able to be like all right like uh maybe just chill out <laughs> well, you got yourself a like, podcast exactly dude <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and that's why i invite friends on to come being on it for me because i'm like oh hold your thought i got my point too yeah like you know what i mean yeah but um i don't know if that, if that answers your question as to why i didn't like it yeah I think. I think it's kind of exciting to me because 
it's nice that we're both not just sitting here praising a movie that we're we're both obsessed with. It's kind of yeah, nice yeah. that you have your critical side to it. Because yeah, there there's there's a lot of things that went wrong in filming that movie and there's probably some some serious holes in it, but I think overall he he patched together a nice nice piece of work and and every time and the best thing about it and the no the reason I know I love it is because when I finish watching it I always feel inspired like I, I don't know what it is I I'm not inspired by it specifically but I'm inspired by film it makes me appreciate appreciate the movies and I don't I don't get that as as often anymore you know it's hard to find movies like that that really leave you inspired and like captivated and i it does it for me like so i will say uh that's funny that you feel that way um but at the end of the documentary the whole credits start to roll and uh francis ford coppola comes into the shot and uh he says (laughs) something to the effect of my hope is that one day some little fat girl will borrow her father's 8mm camera and completely destroy the professionalism of filmmaking and become the next Mozart. <laughs> wow. I don't Yeah, I, that's awesome. So, I think if what this film does for you is inspire you, I think that's it. That's that's its direct intent. And I think for me it it did that. It in it inspired me to look beyond my criticisms in relation to what I think is a good film and look for the things that I liked about it specifically and 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 also the things I didn't like and be able to kind of decompact that, if yeah. that makes any sense. And if you're a filmmaker watching this um, and seeing the documentary... You could probably... You being so fucking anxious while you watch this... Totally. A proper but film. you're like... <laughs> but, but he he was living proof of like that's why he makes films you know he (laughs) puts every and that's why his films are so good because he puts everything into it all his finances Mm -hmm. his his relationships he puts everything on the line for for the for the sake of this film and it gets you know in in the documentary it shows it's like it gets to the point where it's like hey francis like are we gonna really lose everything over a, a fucking two and a half hour movie that's gonna lose the oscar to romeo and juliet or whatever the hell it lost it but like <laughs> yeah yeah we are like we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're not gonna roll over and he did he fights back the whole way he's like i'm gonna finish this film and and you know god bless him it's like you did and the film is it's epic to say that to say the least you know i find that it is quite i mean just in relation i mean this is a stretch but i do find it quite um interesting that they mention in the documentary um the fact that orson wells did a radio show about the book or the novella heart of darkness and that inspired the screenwriter to write the script to write this thing to then have the movie be made Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just all those things kind of connect. And I find that quite interesting. But you're mentioning George Lucas was supposed to make the film, too. Yeah. Yeah. And George was like, this is freaking ridiculous. (laughs) Dodged a bullet. (laughs) But but that's the thing is, like, I think that's I think this type of film takes a certain type of person um, to make. And I think I think that that just speaks to the type of filmmaker. You know, you had already said that Francis is like he's someone who doesn't give up, at least 
in relation to this. I definitely saw that at the end of the documentary, they show like a quick cut of them walking to the premiere and Francis looks burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he looks really tired. Um, but I, I kind of, if we can go back to Robert Duvall's character, Kilgore, did you get the sense that, uh, you know, Robert Duvall was playing this character as sort of a, a has been, he was kind of like, here are my boys. I'll show them off for you. You know, I, I didn't get the sense that the guy could surf. No, totally. <laughs> at all. Totally. <laughs> I didn't get the sense that he knew how to surf in any shape or form, but he wanted people to think like he is the equivalent to the guy who never took off his letterman jacket and then just happened to be at the right place at the right time and ended up in the Vietnam War. And he still had people. He got caught in that period where he still had people that kind of were captivated by his bravado almost yeah um if that makes any sense well it's interesting to see him because i don't i don't know if good's the word for it but let's just say when it comes to the war he was good at it that was what you get from his character but the funny thing was is that all he cared about was surfing which is something that he's not clearly not good at but he all he wants to do is be good at surfing the war was just just an everyday thing for him and everybody else is just fearing for their lives and they want to get out of there and you kind of you kind of get that this is an everyday thing for him meaning like if he went back home he'd feel out of place um but i think i think that is best driven home when he says like someday this war is going to end and it was almost like a ah shit someday this is going to end like as if he's sad about it yeah, yeah, like because because like all the explosions in the background and everything around him is like is like the normality of maybe what he enjoys in life. This chaotic. I'd written down what I thought. Uh, hold on, give me a second. Uh, he said it, he said it like he didn't want it uh, to end. Celeste just enjoyed the freedom of chaos. That's kind of like the sort of freedom of chaos is kind of what I thought. Um, yeah he enjoyed most about war and it is like it's almost like he's living in a world where you know he's living a second life like in gta or something like that and he can like cause all this havoc but he's gotten bored of it all and just normalized to it and all he wants to do now is surf all the time or talk about surfing (laughs) yeah i feel like a lot of those types of people were around (laughs) during this war but he wasn't and i in fact i know he was because they they referenced this kind of a couple times um, because when I when I when they rocked up on that beach and they start playing uh, Wagner, um, the you know all that Play shit, the Valkyries, yeah, yeah, and they start playing that to kind of freak the shit out of all the Viet Cong in that village. I didn't think that there was any Viet Cong in that village when they were bombing it. I was like, they're just killing the random people. But then obviously, like you get the sense that there are. Um, and so I was just kind of I went immediately to the my the My Lai massacre. Have you heard about this? Yes. It was uh, Harold Reed. I got it here. Uh, it's one of the most horrific incidents of violence committed against unarmed civilians during the Vietnam War. A company of American soldiers brutally killed most of the people, women, children, and old men in the village of My Lai on March sixteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. That that scene reminded me a lot of that. But then I realized, like, oh, this there's Viet Cong here, but. That also leads into the fact that, like, this was this war was like the first war where 
it kind of sh- showed like true racism of Western culture in relation to like they were going into the jungle and they didn't know who the bad guy was. They didn't know who the Viet Cong were. They didn't know who the commies were versus the non-commies because communism is an ideology. You can't really like um, if, if they're like if you're not like a, you're not a part of the culture, you don't know anything that's going on like and they're not wearing uniforms. You don't really know kind of like who to kill and that's why i think a lot of this was so brutal a lot of men like so many civilians were killed too and yeah. i think the the film the whole way through gives gives you the the idea that the, the war is pointless and, yeah, yeah and yeah there's not it doesn't it doesn't paint the vietnamese soldiers to be the bad guy in this film whatsoever which which i i liked and i i think you know now that many years have passed and we've we've found out more and more truth behind the vietnam war it the movie only is more accurate over time as to you know how pointless it was for for the americans to be to be in that country it's the uh military industrial complex basically um that kind of sprung forth out of world war ii um it was this kind of america wanted to be like this sort sort of show of force um, in the world and show and they still do today like that's why we get ourselves involved with you know shitty wars now and uh you could make the same argument that i mean i i, I don't know a whole lot about other like the afghan war or any afghanistan war or anything like that so I, i'm not going to try and put any points on it but i will say that like you do get the sense that like you know we're, we're sending people over there to do you know to basically at least in the beginning i felt Um, we were sending people over there and we didn't know again who the enemy was it wasn't like world war ii where it's like the germans were all wearing you know german uniforms and the soviets were all wearing soviet uniforms like you knew who the other person was you know they were identified whereas like you go into a foreign country with kind of a destabilized government and you have radicals kind of like living like non-radicals it's hard to really differentiate between you know who to shoot and not to shoot and i think i think that was something that was really touched upon uh in this film but like also discussed in that ken burns documentary too because a lot of these guys they're just like they're kids right and that's what lawrence fishburne kind of was in the film to kind of talk about because um when uh i in the documentary hearts of darkness they talked about um francis giving the guys kind of some things that they wanted to hit in the film like certain certain points in the film they wanted their characters to hit and i guess they had all agreed upon um having a scene where um they committed an atrocious act yeah kind of like willy-nilly which was the scene where they kind of like rocked up on that boat and they killed the whole family yeah i was just thinking about that part as you're saying it that scene was that was the toughest scene to watch in, in the whole film yeah for sure yeah because up until that point i feel like you you had a sense of um what was it you could say you had a sense of kind of you were kind of rooting for these guys in a way you knew they were like out there and not totally with it um but that was the first time where you realized like oh these guys are kind of going a little bit quote unquote yeah you know you know and out out of their minds and lawrence fishburne's character was he was the one on the turret and he was the one who fucked up and killed everyone on the boat uh because he panicked and 
it was you know and you you liked his character you, you got a real sense of innocence out of him and then he does something like that and it's like you could see there was remorse on his face it was it was executed well by the actors i think but after that uh there's there the woman on the boat is still kind of alive and willard martin sheen tells him to move aside and shoots the woman and then says i told you we should have kept going told you we shouldn't have pulled over and i thought that was a that was a, an important part of the movie i felt like uh i felt two things about that part um well, obviously this was the my lie massacre scene that they that the, the guys wanted to have in the film um so that this was the actual my lie massacre that they wanted to kind of replicate in the film this sort of i guess you could say like heart of darkness um this this moment where they you kind of realize that everybody is pretty much going through uh this sort of don't trust anybody but also feel no consequences type of scenario in this place where nobody knows anything like i it's like uh you know you go there you don't know these people they don't speak speak the same language you refer to them as gooks you're dehumanizing them you don't know who they are. You don't speak their language. It's the same thing that they did during World War II where they tried to dehumanize um, uh, the Japanese in the Pacific. So there was like this lack of consequence. And I think that's why Lawrence Fishburne's reaction to after he pulled the trigger wasn't as less like upset. He was just kind of in shock. He was like, oh, shit, like that sucks. Like, I, yeah, but it's like there, there's no kind of sort of like when you kill somebody, you know, I would assume that you'd act kind of like, oh. Like, did, I fucking killed somebody, but he was like, yeah, I killed somebody. That that really sucks. All right, well, let's get moving. Yeah. Like, it was, you know, this sort of yeah. like, oh, this has been there, done that yeah. kind of scenario, um, this lack of acknowledgement. And a lot of these guys would go home and they'd suffer from this. So I think that I think that them committing these acts would eventually, you know, if these guys made it home, uh, like a lot of these guys that did make it home, they talk about you know, committing terrible acts and they're being like, I don't know why I did that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it's like the, I think it's right. It's kind of like, you know, when you're given a sense of control over a certain amount of certain people, at some point you'll be like corrupted. You know what yeah. I mean? Absolute power corrupts absolutely or whatever. I don't know if you can use that entirely in this sense, but I, I, I definitely felt like that was the first scene where I was like, Oh, these guys are pieces of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but then again, I I don't know what it was like over there, so well, I can't. Desensitizing is is the main goal they would want for their the Americans would want for their own soldiers is is to have everybody desensitized because that would make them more effective soldiers, I guess. But when you get home from the war and you have time to sit and ponder, you know, then that stuff catches up on you. Well, that's why we have so many veterans that are that deal with um. PTSD addiction yeah yeah PTSD and their addictions and stuff like that yeah it's um, terrible yeah it's terrible and then uh but yeah that was also the first scene too where I felt uh I I did understand why he did it um but that was the first time where I wasn't a fan of Willard uh Martin Sheen's character I felt uh I felt like there was some sort of tr there's some sort of switch that f got flicked in between the napalm scene and maybe the the scene where that massacre happened on the boat because i was like i didn't think that he would do something like that do you know what i mean yeah that's a good comparison because in the napalm scene he's he looks at robert duvall's character like he's a madman yeah, um, yeah. and then shortly it would after, do something like that yeah yeah 
That's yeah. a good point. And shortly after we, we see him kind of like, and it, and no, you know, I know after watching the documentary that there's, there was a lot of stuff cut out in this film. Maybe there was something in, in that, that was cut that was maybe, you know, not seen, but you do see the madness kind of grow on him. That's kind of the first instance where you see it a little and bit. And it may not be the madness. It may be the fact that he's starting to grow obsessed with Kurtz. Yeah. And he's he's determined to get to him at this point because he can't quite figure him out. And, you know, yeah. in, in the narration, yeah. he explains that. He says, you know, when at the beginning of the movie in the scene with Harrison Ford and they play the, the, the audio tape of, of Kurt's voice and then fl- fast forward to when they're on the river and he's looking at Kurt's profile and he says, I can't I can't put a face to this guy's voice. It doesn't it doesn't seem right. And you could tell that he's starting to grow a little bit obsessed with with Kurtz. And that's what they want from Kurtz because. When he gets to to Kurtz, Kurtz has already done this to other people, right? He has this yeah. this ability to make people go obsessed with him and yeah. thus start his own cult. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the funniest thing too, is I, I always found it interesting that a lot of the people that were a part of Kurtz's cult at the end of the film when we get there, um, they're like Cambodians, South Vietnamese, North Vietnamese. Um, and American soldiers, French soldiers. There was, it was just a culmination of tons of different people. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I think uh, I, I think one of the most important things too that we should touch on is the because this is right around during the hippie era, you know, psychedelics and you know marijuana use and all that. You know, jazz was just kind of coming into the culture, um, and it made its way over to uh, Vietnam and. Uh, I think that was something that I think Francis wanted to touch on. Like there's that scene where they kind of get to a point where they're that they're at that bridge or whatever. And there's those, there's those soldiers that are kind of shooting in that bunker or whatever. And they're kind of like, you know, uh, Willard's coming over, Martin, she's coming over and he's just kind of like, you know, who's the commanding officer here? No one is clearly in command and they're all clearly drugged out of their mind. Like they're on something. And uh, you know, it was just, that was the first time where I realized, like, uh, I remember watching this when I was young, too, and not really understanding that scene. And then as I've gotten older, I'd realize, like, oh, it's because there was a shitload of drugs back then, too. One of the best scenes now. Again, it play it plays into the cinematography of the film, too. Um, obviously, to me, one of my favorite parts about Apocalypse Now is the cinematography, is the visual experience of the film. And then to know, you know, this came out in what year was it that come out 1979 and it took them years to film it right so it was probably filmed in like 1977 anyways absolutely spectacular but the the scene at night there is also just as amazing you know the cinematography in in that scene the way they have the the lighthouse type light going over um going around them and as things get dark and light and dark and light and well, it's because of the uh, the flares that I think they're shooting up in the air, and I don't know. There's probably there's tons those... of different yeah, yeah. lighting going on, and it's just it really adds to. And I think that's why they made it important for the viewer that they see that Lance mentions that he drops acid before they uh, they arrive at that at that bridge because the whole scene after that was just it was really trippy, and the character that shoots the kind of mortar type the grenade launcher he just did a 
brilliant job as an actor, you know. And he says, "Who's in? Do you know who's in command here?" And he says, "Yeah." And then he just and he just walks away. Speaking speaking of Lance, uh, Sam Button Buttons or whatever he uh, or Bottoms, I can't remember his name. I think it's Bottoms. Um, he, uh, I mean, lots of people were on a shitload of drugs during the filming of this movie. Mm. Um, we'll get to Dennis Hopper later, but like. Uh, no, I, I in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, um, they asked him. They were like, "Were you on any drugs at the time of the scene in this film?" He's like, he, "They were like," uh, and he was like, kind of weird about it. And he was just like, "Yeah, yeah." And then he was like, "Well, did you did you had did you guys drop acid during the filming of this movie?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he goes, "Were you on acid in this scene?" No. And then he goes, well, what, what did you, did you take anything? So, yeah. Well, what did you take? Well, at that time I was using speed and marijuana and I, I was probably doing speed during that scene or something like that. Like he was just, yeah, yeah like he was out of his mind and you know, a lot, and frankly, it, it makes sense. Cause that was the era the seventies were like, you know, hip and jivey and cool and shit. And oh man. Was... I'm happy that you watched that documentary. <laughs> so before we wrap up, uh, I would be remiss to mention uh, the opening sequence, which was amazing. Um, and uh, it's the scene where Martin is, uh, Willard is like, I keep can interplacing their names, but it's just so much easier to call him Martin Sheen. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it's it's the part where he's kind of like, apparently in, in filmmaking, he was actually like extremely intoxicated um mm -hmm. and uh and and uh coppola had this dream like a couple of nights before talking about this like talking about that like and he would told he's told his wife in the recording during the documentary he said like you know i had this dream of this uh soldier looking in the mirror and puckering his lips and and kissing himself in the mirror and like playing with his hair and shit and then the next day they like go into the they go and they film that kind of similar scene with Martin Sheen when he's like completely intoxicated in his room. And then Martin like does all the stuff in the mirror and then he punches the mirror and hurts his thumb. And then, um, you also mentioned that he had, uh, what happened to him <laughs> like the day later? Well, I guess he had a nervous breakdown as well, or, or he was extremely stressed. And then he, he had a, he had a heart attack. He smoked like three packs a day. And speaking of which too, in the documentary, cause, cause there was a lot of points in the documentary where, uh, it would cut to the care, like the actor at that period in their life being like all fucking jazzed out and shit. Um, cause there's, you know, a lot going on in their lives around then. And like Dennis Hopper is like absolutely messed up, you know, too. I'll talk to him, talk about him in a second, but there's a part where, you know, uh, we see that scene and we see the making of that scene. And then we cut to Martin Sheen in 1991 or 1990 when the documentary is kind of being recapped or they're recapping and doing post interviews after the filmmaking and um, Martin's like, yeah, I was in a bad place back then. I was smoking three packs a day. I was super unhealthy and all this shit. <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then same thing with Dennis Hopper or in the Hearts of Darkness documentary. There's a part where you see Coppola and Dennis Hopper like interacting. And Coppola is like, Coppola, who reminds me, it's funny you say you're inspired by him. But in the making of this movie, he reminds me so much of you where you kind of like put up with the characteristics of individuals that most people wouldn't put up with <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and and he's just like enjoying the ride enjoying the company but at the same time being like hey man like don't do that <laughs> yeah like yeah we, we, we we're here for business like 
yeah, we're here for business, but we can have a good time. Yeah, have just, a good time, but keep your head on track here. Like, like it reminded me so much of uh, the time where, uh, like, I came over to your place and we were there for like a party or whatever, and um, and somebody was trying to beak me or somebody was trying to throw some shade in my way, and I'm a scrappy kind of guy, and I don't like it when people make fun of me, and I have a lot, of, I have a lot to say as as why I have a podcast. Mm-hmm. So I started beaking him and throwing shade his way, and. And you kind of came to me after the party was over and you're like, hey, man, like you're a really awesome guy. And I love you for this, this and this reason. But like also like just like leave it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like, just leave it alone. You know, you don't need to do that all the time. And I'm like, well, that's who I am. And they're like, "Ah, maybe don't, though. And you're like laughing with me as we we talk about it. But um... I did my best attempt to like (laughs) tell you when to shut up, but in a a nice way. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, you know, that's what friends do, and I really, I really appreciate it. But it reminded me so much uh, in this, in the making of this film, Dennis Hopper and uh, and Francis Ford Coppola have a very similar conversation where Francis just like, hey man, like why didn't she say that? And because you know Hopper's like on shitloads of drugs yeah. in this film, and you can tell like behind the scenes he's just out of his mind. Like a lot of the similar characteristics of the character in the film. Um, is what he was kind of like in real life at the time. Yeah. Um, and so the funniest part is when Hopper is just kind of going off, uh, off the camera, or you know, not being shot in a scene. He's just like talking about shit, and and they're ta- he's talking about his character with Coppola. And Coppola's like, "Why didn't you say that in the scene?" He's just like, "I don't know," because that's the director's job. And then the, and then Coppola's like, "Yeah, but you're the actor," and he's like, "Yeah, but you know." <laughs> And it's just, and you could just tell that like Coppola is really trying with these people, similar with what he was doing with Brando, and yeah. And then cut, and then we cut to Hopper like in 1990, post filming of the movie, and he's just like, "Yeah, I was fucked up around then." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It was like amazing filmmaking, but yeah, I don't know. I felt like I should add that. In. <laughs> I agree. I think that's why I have so much praise for him in making that film because not only did he have to do such a complicated job, but he had to babysit people as well (laughs) yeah Yeah. because he because you know the film the actors the actors that people wanted to work with that and all the star power back then was a lot of the people that were fucked up because of the star power yeah you know what i mean so it was a crazy time and in film history for sure i feel like that's why a lot of people wanted to work with brando though too Mm -hmm. it was it was because it was because it was brando and he yeah. was on top of the world. And I and I don't feel like there was any other reason why, you know, maybe they had a really good relationship behind the scenes, but it didn't seem like it. Um, yeah, I think it seemed like Francis was a bit let down because I think he thought they had a better relationship. And then and then Brando wasn't really making things easy for him and was being quite picky. <clears throat> Can you imagine what this movie would have looked like going back to Brando, I guess, before we kind of end it here? Um, and. Uh, can you imagine what this movie would have looked like if Brando wasn't such a difficult person? Do you think it would have been better or worse? Or did, what kind of, how, if it was different, in what sort of way? I don't know. I think I think it's fine w- with what, what happened because I think <laughs> I personally liked the fact that he didn't have a big role in the film. Okay. And, and yeah. my, my real, you know, the person I enjoyed in the film the most besides Robert Duvall's part is I loved Martin Sheen. I thought he, his performance was impeccable. I thought he was the perfect character. And I, I just, I was rooting for him the whole time. And 
And I think well, Harvey Kite Harvey Keitel was meant to play this role originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they filmed for like two weeks or something, yeah. or a week, and uh, then yeah, and let, I him, guess, let him go. And they let him go, which is strange to me because Harvey Keitel is an amazing actor. Yeah, um, but I can't I can't picture anyone besides Martin Sheen. I I'm I'm completely happy with Martin Sheen in in, mm. in his place of that character. I think I think he yeah. did an amazing job and. I, I think a lot of it come comes through in the film in relation to how um, he struggles with, I mean, he's struggling with identity in himself. And surely during the end, when he like massacres Kurtz at that point, it's almost like, and when everybody bows down to him, when he walks out of the, the temple, yeah. it's almost like he has become Kurtz in a way, at least in the eyes of the people that uh, worshiped Kurtz. Yeah. And, uh, and that's I mean? such he's a like, hard way to end a movie like how does he get into this place how does he get into this (laughs) compound how does he assassinate and i think man he did a they did a good job with the the way they did it 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 worked it 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 was a hard thing to make work and it it worked you know and yeah i think martin sheen was i loved how soft-spoken he was the whole time in the film he didn't have much to say you just kind of had this like do you think he, here's a question I have for you? Do you think he didn't have much to say because of the fact it was um, he was along for the ride just as much as we were, or do you think he didn't have much to say because because he was just like fuck I have to do this? Do you know what I mean? Because there was that bravado at the beginning where you were just like oh he's got a you know he he was talking at the beginning of the film where he was just kind of like oh shit like you know, I've done a tour or two or whatever, and I'm still here and yada, yada, yada. And then he gets called in for this secret mission, this classified mission, you know, I think he just didn't fit in anywhere. Like he, he didn't have, he didn't have anywhere to be. He, he didn't want to go home. Yeah. Cause home was, you know, his wife had broken up with him. And yeah. Everything. Like he was so lost. And I think he did a good job at showing that. And you had this, like, you kind of just felt for him, even though he did some bad stuff and he, you know, you just, I don't know the whole time for me watching it, I just kind of felt for him. I was like, you're just kind of feel oh, poor guy, you know, and he's dealing with all these crazy people around him. Like some people are just, you know, Lance is dropping acid. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, he's just a kid. He doesn't know any better. Uh, the captain is, is stressed out of his mind. So worried about what's going to happen. Um, and he's just on this boat of a bunch of people that he doesn't necessarily feel like he's, it, it wasn't like a, they developed a brotherhood at all. He was just like, he, everybody was just a, 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 a recipe in his own disaster. And, yeah, and it's, that's true. That's yeah. a good point. And it's, yeah, that's just kind of the way I felt it with him. And I think that, I think that he, he doesn't know he didn't know his place the whole the whole time he never found he never finds his place <laughs> yeah you know yeah i i uh a couple of things right before we ended here uh i have to probably give a shout out to my friend uh allegra um i don't think she's listening but it'd be cool to tell this story but because uh, i always think it's funny to mention but um her dad uh during the filming of this movie was actually like a taxi driver for Marlon Brando and Martin Sheen which was pretty cool. So shout out to Allegra and Allegra's dad. <laughs> and uh I have to also give a shout out to my um my first year of college f- 
film studies professor who made us watch the first three minutes of this movie probably like 10 times and i hated it but then it made more sense and it was all because and the whole reason why we watched it over and over again was to dialogue about the the fact that all of the helicopter sounds that they they use at the beginning of the film to under to be played under the this is the end song by the doors and have that kind of replicate like because the the chopper sound the 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 all that shit yeah the propeller and that also when he when we cut to the room of uh, Willard, we see the fan spinning, and mm-hmm. it's you know what I mean. Which is a brilliant, two, yeah, it's amazing. It's 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 amazing, and and certain techniques and pieces of filmmaking like that should not go unnoticed. So I had to quickly mention that. Good but, point. But with that, uh, Kai, I just want to say thank you so much, man, for uh, coming on the show, and finally. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for exposing me. me to this uh, f- fucking movie again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to watch it again for a long uh, time, my man. Uh, I'll watch it. I'll watch it with my kid, and I'll there you go. Make him watch the documentary someday. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we can. Maybe we can have like a watch party. You invite your kid, and I'll invite my kid, and we'll just sit down and watch this movie. And the two dads will bitch off about it. Who likes the movie more, and yeah. who doesn't? <laughs> I look forward to the day. Yeah, me too, man. I'm excited. All right. As always, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at The Real Rant Pod. Get in touch with us on Instagram at The Real Rant, all one word. Or if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at TheRealRantPodcast at gmail.com. If you're a fan, filmmaker, or a creator, or someone who works in front of or behind the camera, and you want to get in touch with us, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. Also, exciting news our Patreon is finally up and running. And uh, you can find that link in the show notes down below. And finally, if you'd like to, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and give us a rate and review on whatever listening platform you're listening to us on right now. All right. Uh, Kai, again, this has been amazing, and I really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll have it back again soon. Thanks, buddy. All right. And scene. Scene.